welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. Welcome to another Dietitian Connection podcast episode. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the founder and director of Dietitian Connection. Welcome to everyone um, joining us for this episode. It's a great pleasure today for me to have Karen Inge join us. I'm such a big fan of Karen and I can't wait to chat to her today. Karen Inge is a leading Australian dietitian and she has her own nutrition consultancy business, which she's had for over 30 years. And she's also the founder and owner of the meal delivery company Dynamic and also recently opened the Georgie Bass Cafe and Cookery in Flinders, Victoria. And I don't know how she does it all. She has a much longer biography, which we will include in the show notes and we will cover some of that during today's conversation. So welcome and thanks so much for joining us, Karen. Oh, it's a pleasure, Marie. Firstly, we are in the middle of the COVID pandemic, and I know you are in lockdown Melbourne. Just wanted to check in and see how you're going. Yes, well, uh, I'm still alive, which is great and virus-free, uh, but I'm, you know, looking forward to when getting out. Actually, it's been um, very, it's been a surreal situation. It's been very hard for a lot of people. I'm very fortunate because I'm in a comfortable. Uh, house and and um, you know I feel all safe and secure, but um, you know it's going to have a huge impact on the way we all live our lives, really. Uh, but you know it's a challenge, and I think um, you know we will overcome it. We'll get through it, and we'll be better for it. Mm. I kind of yeah, I just hearts out to everyone, particularly in Melbourne at the moment. And, um, so thinking of you, I sort of in my head have this pre-Karen and post-Karen life. <laughs> We only met a couple of a couple of years ago, I think three or four years ago, and I just don't know how we didn't meet each other earlier. But so glad that we have met, and I just I'm one of your biggest fans, and I'm so grateful to have you in my life and the mentorship and advice that you provide me. But I wanted to kind of go back and um, perhaps talk about your family and your um, when you were growing up as a child and I know your dad had his own business and just wondered what kind of influence, I know you're really close to your parents and your family. So just wondering what kind of influence you think they might've had in who you are today. Well, first of all, thank you very much, Marie, for all of um, your complimentary words, but it's mutual adoration society here because um, I am a big fan of yours and just our relationship over the last few years has been quite extraordinary and and we're so connected in so many ways ways and on the same wavelength and I just really um, admire everything that you've done and um, yeah it's um, yeah, it's interesting that we haven't met before but that's a, the way it is we all live in little bubbles sometimes and and um, you know but when you meet the people that you connect with it's just so rewarding and so wonderful so um, thank you for everything you've done for me as well uh my my family yes it's interesting i am very close to my parents i'm very fortunate they're both um in their 90s my father will be 95 uh next month and um and he's still working <laughs> uh and very active they both they live together they they live independently and um you know i know i'm very lucky to have them yes it, it, my background was quite interesting because i'm first generation australian my parents 
um, came to Australia independently of each other. They didn't know each other. My mother was 19 when she arrived in Australia from Poland after the Second World War. Uh, she was an orphan. And um, my father came a year later at the age of 23 uh, from Latvia. Uh, they were both, um, you know, they both went through horrific times in the war. My mother running away from the Germans, my father running away from the Russians. But um, they came here and they, uh, you know, they, they sort of met here. My mother was the first migrant nurse to train at the Alfred. She did her exams with a dictionary and she had a hole in her heart. She was the first um, adult with a patent ductus, which was repaired, first adult in Australia to have that operation. Um, and my father uh, was an assisted migrant. And so his passage was paid by the Australian government and he therefore had to work for two years on the railways to pay back uh, the privilege of, of Australia paying for his passage. So I mention that because it might help to understand um, the influence that they've had on my life. But we were we were brought up with um, very strong values. My father was, um, you know, very. It was all about the family and all about um, education because their education was interrupted. So for our parents, really wanted. Um, their children to be tertiary educated and um, to also be the best they could be, be very self-reliant, not depend upon anybody uh, and be resilient. My childhood was um, very happy and built on a very strong foundation of love, support uh, and entertainment <laughs> because the other thing that became was very important in my family's life was food because everything food was food is love in our family every uh, everything is about food i mean you know maybe if you go to, went to my grandmother's house as a child her table was groaning with food and even if there was only one of you and and she would bring everything out from her fridge and she would bake she would prepare she would pickle she would do everything and everything was laid out and so we still um my parents have totally assimilated my father speaks five languages my mother speaks four but i don't i only speak schoolgirl french and um and English, so I don't speak any of the languages that my parents do because they really wanted to speak English in the home and totally assimilate. They didn't um, really stay with their cult various cultures, but they did keep the tradition of food. And so our family, Christmas, Easter, birthdays, we make traditional Latvian or Polish food recipes that have been handed down from um, generations. And so our Christmas is the same Christmas uh, with a slight Australian tweak on Christmas Eve that my father uh, has had all his life. So we have Grandma Rosalia's salad and we have this and that and Auntie Regina's, you know, cakes and Kringles for birthdays. And so it's all of that, I suppose. I mean, the love of food is obviously one of the reasons probably why I, I, I sort of moved towards dietetics. But, um, yeah, I think... It, I, I now, my, I, I really think that my family, uh, the security and the love that I, I have had in my life, and it's continued really with my husband, has been an enormous uh, bonus and benefit for me. Um, the love of people, the respect for what you have, uh, and the fact that we are grateful for everything that we've achieved. I'm very proud of my both my parents. They're very strong, and, and I've even seen it during the pandemic. They are still very strong people that just are positive and 
believe that every problem has a solution and you just need to find that solution. So I, I you know, I often think I don't know, you know, I'm still somebody's child, which is sort of amazing at my age, but it's, um, I'm very lucky. I'm very comforted. I've come from a very happy environment as a child and growing up. Yeah. And kudos to your parents because those values definitely come through you and then the love and support that you're able to share with everyone in your life. So um, yeah, that's just, um, I love hearing that story. I didn't know some of the, the bits and pieces there about your parents. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. So food was a big part of your life and it obviously played a role in becoming a dietitian, but were there other things that led you to decide to choose dietetics as a career? Well, yes, there was a number of influences. Probably one of the major influences is that I was an overweight teenager and um, my mother, who was, um, you know, very social and pretty glam and, um, you, know, you know, very great figure and, and you know, I, I was probably the only one in my family who struggled a little bit with weight. And when I look back at that, I sort of think that a lot of it was emotional and comfort eating and I was, because I was so young when I finished school at 16 and a lot of pressure was put on me to perhaps be a doctor because that's what European parents wanted. They wanted, you know, to be you to be a doctor or a lawyer. And um, but it was this dietitian, and I must. It's a funny story. So my mother took me along to a dietitian, and they there weren't that many of them. But this it was. I remember it was in East Melbourne, and she was in um, a clinic, and she was a Sydney-based dietitian that actually flew down once a week to Melbourne, and she provided all the food for you, like I suppose a almost a Jenny Craig. Um, but what really impressed me as a 15-year-old was she had, she, I thought, what a glamorous life. I mean, she flies down, this, this gorgeous-looking woman, she flies down from Sydney once a week and she had a fur coat over the back of her chair. So I must have seen her in winter and all I could think of was, oh, my God, that beautiful fur coat. No, I mean, you wouldn't even think of it. Hopefully it was fake fur. But in those days it was sort of, I thought, oh, she's so glamorous. Um, and I saw her weekly and managed to, you know, manage lose weight I suppose at that stage probably all the body image dietitians will be thinking 15 year old trying to lose weight but um, I survived and I thought that's quite an interesting job and um, even though it wasn't sort of my first preference I thought I would end up doing medicine um, it's it, it sort of led me to dietetics so the love of food the love of people and people ask me who was that dietitian and I can't remember her name she's probably dead by now because she um you know, she almost shouldn't really say that, but I, I don't know who, I can't remember who she was. Um, mm. So that sort of influenced me. Plus, um, I was at a, <laughs> it's interesting because I, I was at a, one of the school reunions, I think it was my 20-year school reunion, and this uh, bright and bouncy um, colleague came up to me and she said, I knew you'd be a dietitian. And I said, why? And she said, you were the first person I ever saw eat a whole raw capsicum at school. <laughs> So um, I obviously was quite interested in, mm -hmm. in um, you know, in nutrition at that point and, um, and obviously I, I did sciences all the way through school and love science. So people, food, nutrition, science, I mean, you know, helping people, basically that, that, that was a profession for me. Yeah, I love doing these podcasts because I've never heard these stories before. So <laughs> that's, uh, it's interesting that quite a few dietitians, I think, have seen diet, other dietitians as teenagers and that's why they decided to become a dietitian. So yeah. well, it would be great I, if we knew who that dietitian was. But Yes, I tried to find we, out. I just I couldn't, work, I couldn't find out who it was. Well, we're very grateful to them anyway. <laughs> 
Um, so you have been a dietitian for a few years now. Can mm. I, and I don't know the answer to this question either, but can you talk about sort of where you, what your first job was and yeah. a, a couple well, of the, the first jobs that you had? Well, some people would be quite surprised, but I started as a clinical dietitian and my first job was at Peter Mac, which is a cancer institute. And um, I was the, I actually, it was really quite interesting and the younger dietitians will think, not even believe this, but I had a number of choices. Uh, there were more jobs than there were dietitians in my day. So um, I had, it was sort of almost like the chief dietitians were uh, whining, not whining and dining you, but certainly um, they were, encouraging you to come and work with them. I decided to go to Peter Mac because I was very impressed with Caroline Katz or Nancy Katz. She was one of our pioneer dietitians and she was a chief dietitian there at the time. And um, when I think we celebrate our 90th anniversary of dietetics, I'm sure that her name will come up because she was a, a, one of the pioneer dietitians in the country and a wonderful woman. She employed me, but she wasn't my first boss. I st my first boss was Noel Roberts because he and I, who some people may remember, he was instrumental in setting up the APD program for um, DA8 or Dietitians Australia. And we both started on the same day. He inherited me, which he always, I'm still, he's still my friend today and was one of my uh, great mentors. But um, so Noel and I um, started at the same time and there were I was the first ward dietitian because in those days they had nurses, diet sisters who would work in the ward pantries and would prepare, you know, smooth, well not smoothies, they were called smoothies, milkshakes and, and um, different high protein fluids and, and different foods to help um, people who were undergoing treatment to help them meet their nutritional needs. We didn't have parental nutrition or anything like that at that point, so we were making everything. And I was the first ward sort of dietitian that really um, had to establish sort of the move the diet the nurses out and the dietitians in but I um I love that job I didn't stay in there for that long because I think it was 18 months because I promised my girlfriend that we were going backpacking for a year around Europe so uh, I wanted to uh, keep to that but there was a little bit of a hiccup and that is I met my husband <laughs> at Peter Mac and my future husband and um, George was a, a doctor on rotation from the Alfred Hospital and this crazy doctor had all these cancer patients on my ward on high fiber diets. He was requesting them, requesting them. And I had to go and see this, this crazy doctor and say, how can I give them high fiber? I can't even get enough kilojoules into them. I can't really get high fiber. It's enough to get some fiber. But really he said it was just to meet me, which was lovely. So uh, we had a wonderful romance um, and all the patients knew and, uh, but we all kept it sort of, you know, no shenanigans with the staff. So um, no fraternizing or anything like that. So that was a, a, a wonderful time. And we gave um, our relationship was sort of the talk of the cancer wards really. And um, they were watching it blossom over the time, but I did, leave and go with my girlfriend overseas and, and then I was called back for a job which was um, too good to refuse so my, my trip was cut back early because not because of George <laughs> but because of an opportunity to work at, um, at a, a, a Southern Memorial Hospital but I worked in the Caulfield Community Care Centre uh, under Helen Mingrose where I actually uh, did um, a lot of uh, work with vulnerable communities. I did a lot of home visits with people who were uh, poverty-stricken, drug addicts, alcoholics, and um, I also ran weight loss groups in those days. Um, and so it was a real community centre and I really um, enjoyed that time while I was there. But what happened was... Uh, 
that the I, I needed to upgrade my qualifications, so I was given that opportunity because when I went through, dietetics was uh, to, like a graduate diploma, and I wanted to. Uh, there was an opportunity to convert to um, a degree, a science degree, and you needed a project. So I applied to do that. There were three of us at the hospital. And unfortunately, the other two were given permission to take a day off to go down to Deakin and do this coursework and, and do the research project. But for some reason, my permission was denied. So I didn't know what to do because I thought, well, I, I just won't do the degree. But what happened was that um, Bev Wood, who is one of my mentors, uh, she rang me up and she said, I hear you're not going to do this degree conversion. And she said, you better do this degree conversion. I said, but I, I haven't got, I'll have to leave my job. She said, leave your job. And that was a big decision for me because I really loved what I was doing. And that was a sliding door moment because what, why I'm doing this long spiel, I suppose, is that the secretary of our department in the community care centre, her husband was the football manager at the Collingwood Football Club. And I was at her desk saying, I'm so depressed. I have to leave the job that I love. I don't know what research project to do. I've got to get it in by the end of the week. I have no idea. She said, my husband's a football manager at the Collingwood Football Club. Why don't you see what footballers eat? And I said, that is the most pathetic research project that we'll never get through. So what happened was she said, well, they've lost a grand final. They, they could do with you. I'll ring the doctor or speak to Billy. You go down and have a chat with them. Well, I didn't look back from there because suddenly from leaving the job that I really loved and I didn't really want to, but due to somebody who was very important in my life giving me that advice and for me taking it, suddenly serendipitously, it's with serendipity, it all just worked. And so what happened was that I did, I, I, my research project was looking at the cardiovascular risk profile of VFL footballers. So it wasn't really to do with performance, it was to do with health. And um, that was accepted. And then I thought, well, how am I, what job am I going to do? So I applied for a job at Moorabbin Hospital. And um, this was another clinical position, which was a job chair position. And I opened up a private practice at the hospital because endocrinologists and gastroenterologists had their private rooms and they asked me if I would be their dietitian. My husband was had a GP practice. He was studying radi um, uh, radiotherapy at Peter Mac, but specialising, but then he had a GP practice at, with somebody else. So I start in the same area. So I started working there. And the irony of the whole situation was that East Bentley Community Centre was across the road and the dietitian there was Louise Burke. So we formed our relationship um, very early on because we were actually working in the really with the same group. So from there, to make a long story short, I mean, I started my sports nutrition career, but I did keep my cl clinical position um, for quite a few years because in, I was in the same area as my private practice and so it was all building up and I really enjoyed the hospital work. But when I, after my second child, I actually gave up that hospital position and because my sports nutrition career was taking off. This was all in um, and, and Collingwood and everything was all going gangbusters. But, um, yeah, so I'll leave it there. And then I went on to sports nutrition and then, uh, you know, the, then that opened doors to the food industry, which I'm mm. sure we'll talk about, and media mm. and... And then, <laughs> but that was the beginning and I just sort of wanted to highlight to the younger dietitians that um, you know sometimes out of your biggest disappointments come your best opportunities mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, I think that's really, that's a big lesson that I've learned. Mm. Got so many questions. So I'm going to go with the first one. Um, I mean, you were the first AFL dietitian, but had you been interested in sports before that? Were you an AFL fan or? <laughs> Do you want the truth? <laughs> I sometimes pinch myself, especially when I was at the peak of my sports nutrition, because when I look at the young sports dietitians today, so many of them are athletes. So many of them, you know, some are Olympians. I mean, you know, they're, they're elite athletes. I was the antithesis of that. I, um, look, I was fit. I, I, you know, played university netball and you know skied and and you know did all of that but um i followed footy because you can't be a victorian and not have a football team uh but i certainly was nowhere near an athlete and i think the and that and and that was really sort of a bit of a challenge in some respects because i really had to prove my worth without having and my that I could help the players without actually having speaking their language in a lot of ways, and I suppose it was a good place. To, a good place to start was a male male sport because they didn't expect me to play football, and that would be different with AFL women's. But um, no, I had to really be. I couldn't empathise with them from that sporting. Uh, perspective so I really had to be strong in what I could offer them and what I could contribute and that was obviously my nutrition expertise and uh, I was very aware of that um, but you know it's uh, so no what I'm <laughs> no not an athlete <laughs> at all uh, never have been but I certainly have enormous respect I love sport I love watching it um, and um, I certainly have a great appreciation for, for athletes now and I have been able to connect with them obviously during my career. Mm. And you are the, you know, you've been the first to do many, many things in terms of the private practice side of things. Would you have been one of the first in Melbourne? Um, I wasn't. I, I, I was an early adopter. I, it's mm. certainly um, Kay Gibbons and Alison Wales were the first private practice dietitians and Kay you'd know very well because she's had an enormous impact impact um, in the profession and also with um, Dietitians Australia um, and was a president. But she is um, she was quite remarkable because she's been she's a paediatric dietitian, but she was one of the first to set up a private practice. And then um, Christine Roberts was my business partner with my we had a private practice together called Melbourne Dietetic Centre. And um, at that time we uh, I had my own private practice, but I also had a practice with, with Chris and we had a number of clinics in Melbourne and um, and we were, it was funny because we, I was a, a member of the Dietitians Registration Board in Victoria, but I had to step out because somebody reported Chris and I as having a monopoly because we had Melbourne Dietetic Centre and we had practices in the suburbs. So what we had to do to overcome that was to uh, have a city CBD practice so we didn't really know what to do so we we uh, rented some service to uh, offices to get our name in Melbourne and we started op we opened a clinic in the CBD so that we could um, we had to get lawyers involved and everything so that we could prove that we had a Melbourne dietetic centre so this was a bit of a challenge but after a while my, when my my interests were really um, going so much into sport. I left my partnership with Chris and um, she said, what do you want? And I said, I just want my skinfold calipers. So I just took my skinfold calipers and we are still very close friends um, today. Uh, and we, I just left, I had enough 
she was she went on and, and did marvelous things with her practice and eventually sold that and was hugely successful um, but I learned a lot from Chris and um, we had you know we're friends we had a wonderful business relationship but I felt I was going in a direction that was perhaps a little different to hers uh, so we parted ways but yes I was one of the early uh, private practice dietitians mm -hmm. in Victoria yeah so back to sports, you were the first dietitian appointed to an AFL club. You were the founding head of nutrition at the Victorian Institute of Sport and you were the inaugural vice president of Sports Dietitians Australia. And then later you were made the first dietitian to be a fellow of the Sports Medicine Australia and you were an inaugural fellow of the Sports Dietitians Australia. So that's a lot of firsts. <laughs> so what, what was it like to be a trailblazer in sports dietetics? Really hard, to be honest. Um, it was really hard because we... It, Dietitians were not um, considered essential. I mean, there was no precedence, really. Uh, the people who were giving nutrition advice were the exercise physiologists. And um, so in a, in a way, we, we, I had to push in a bit. So the way I sort of did that was just decided to really focus on the practical aspects of um of sports nutrition so where but I didn't do any I mean I did some research and I'll talk a little bit about that initially but um, it was really about the translating the science into practical terms because the benefit to the athlete was actually the food they put into their mouths and it wasn't the knowledge it was actually the practical aspects and that's really that was the missing link and I could see that that you know you could talk to them and lecture to them about high carb high protein low fat uh, you know plenty of fluids but they didn't know how to do it uh, and I knew that the impact would performance impact would actually be by them doing it so my role really was to not only get them in the best shape and I'll talk about body composition in a minute but it was really about showing them getting them to not have alcohol before a game uh, talking to them about what were the right foods and how how to they, did, they couldn't even a lot of them just had no idea some of them had never even passed it before they didn't um, it was really you've got to think back to the 1980 81 I mean it, the, they were relying very heavily on fast foods the diets of Australian diet was really um, very simple and very plain so to get them to in, introduce new foods and and change their eating habits really meant a lot of discussions with the families, settings in which they lived. It also meant, you know, doing cooking classes and shopping tours and all of those things that we I introduced um, uh, to them. So I pushed, I had to push my way in, but um, I remember so many coaches telling me that I needed to focus on the scoreboard. So what was really important was to get the results. And I suppose I ended up not continuing or not, continuing with my PhD, but I decided that I was going to do action research because I didn't have time to take off and go down the track that I was going with my PhD. It was really about, um, it was really about just doing the work and I felt there was some urgency that I had to, I had a job to do and I had to prove that we were an essential part of the team. And that wasn't only with the sporting teams, but it was actually with the professional associations. So. When I applied to be a member of the Australian Sports Medicine Federation, they told me that I could only be, as a dietitian, an associate member. There was no full membership for dietitians. And so I was categorised along with nurses as part of a sports medicine team, while physios, massage, myotherapists, doctors could all be full members, psychologists, but a dietitian was an associate. And I thought, that's not right. So... 
what I had to do then was lobby and write position sort of letters and, and lobby and get my friends who were sort of sports medicine doctors at that time and, and try and get build a case for support of why a dietitian needs to get full membership. And I thought if it was, if I was just, to be honest with you, if I was just doing it for me, I would have given up. It was too hard. But I then thought I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for the people that follow me. So it's not about me getting full membership. I don't really care if I had full membership. I do care, but I didn't really care so much for me. But I knew that this I had to do it for the rest of the dietitians to come after me. And so I got that through and I proved to them that we are we deserve full membership of I mean it sounds a stupid thing now and most people would just join up and not worry about it, but it was hard. It was hard because I was busy, I had other things and in the end, you sort of think, well, why am I? Don't they understand how good we are? Do I really have to fight and tell them? But I broke through that barrier. We got full membership. Um, I refused to join unless I could get full membership. So I had a lot of support. I knew people on the board, and it all started from there. And um, and yeah, I had to laugh really because it wasn't that much longer, maybe eight years or so, that I was awarded a fellowship. And um, it, it, that was that was really. A, a great sense of satisfaction for me, um, just personal satisfaction. Yeah, I enjoyed that little little reward. <laughs> yeah, you deserved that one. <laughs> and you used those lobbying skills too when you were instrumental with Louise Burke and others in setting up Sports Dietitians Australia. Tell me a little bit about that period and what that looked well, like. Well, that was really, it really was born out of necessity because what was happening with the Australian Sports Medicine Federation, it is it encompasses all people, all health professionals working in sport. And one by one, the individual disciplines were breaking off. So not breaking out of the Sports Medicine Federation, but forming their own professional groups. So it became the Sports Physiotherapist Association, the Sports Physicians Association, um, and each of the groups were forming their own. And suddenly we were left as a sports nutrition special interest group and this special interest group was not only dietitians we had doctors who were involved and we had other exercise scientists who were involved but there were just a core of dietitians in that group and really close and you've obviously you know spoken to with Louise and she was definitely well she was one of them as well there was the late Helen O'Connor who I adore um, you know Lorna Garden Glenn Cardwell who you know we all know so well and and um, Liz Broad and, and Fiona Pellis and a, a group a, a core group of us um, Deborah Kerr who you know and Holly Frail and you know quite a core of us but only in a, a few I don't think we had 10 of us and um, so we decided you know we, 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 we've got to do something so we spoke to um, DAA and we said this is our dilemma um, we really want to we need to form our own association or our own group can we do it within DAA they said um, of course you can but we found out that we couldn't control our funds uh, that DAA would control our funds and we would have to apply for funding to do all this sort of stuff and that wasn't really for us so what we decided to, but we wanted to do it with the blessing so we really had to we had to form our own association for our survival within the um, within the sports uh, sports medicine world. 
we had no choice, but we had a big dilemma. And the dilemma was that there were so few of us, how were we going to do this? Because we wanted to set, we didn't want to be a breakaway group from our own professional association. There was a lot of argy-bargy about our name because in the sporting world, everybody wanted us to be nutritionists because it was seen as a more positive uh, word. And so everybody was saying, you should be Sports Nutrition Australia. And we we thought, no, we, we're not going to do that. We're going to use, we are dietitians. We are going to go with Sports Dietitian Australia. And we wanted to do it with the blessing of both organisations. So we needed money to go to lawyers, to set up our, um, our constitution along the same lines, mirroring DAAs. Uh, we also had to be, you know, we worked out how we were going to be members. So people who were, who would join our um, association would have to be members of DAA and would have to be members of uh, Australian Sports Medicine Federation. So we knew that was going to be a lot of money. So we, we, we want to keep our membership fees low and all of that. So um, there was a lot of discussion. We wanted professional help to really get our branding, our um, goals, our mission, because we were only a small number and we couldn't afford to set it up. But we knew that we were laying the foundations for something that was going to be bigger than us and would go into the future. So we we were so tight. In we were, it, it was such a wonderful experience to be to be with like-minded people with the same mission and the same vision. And yes, we all worked uh, in different institutes of sport all over the country, but here we were a cohesive group on a mission, motivated, driven, um, and so team orientated. Uh, it, you know, they're still my very close friends to this day because we built something that to last. And that was our dream that it was Yes, it was for us initially because we had a four-year goal. We had a two-year goal, a four-year goal, um, and we achieved all our four-year goals in two years. We were so active and so motivated, but we knew that it was important to get it right, build a solid foundation so that this, um, and we were hoping so that this would last, and we were hoping that DAA might see this, at our, the way we formed our group, as a pilot for specialisation for dietitians, whether you be a hospital, like a paediatric dietitian or an intensive care dietitian um, or a gastro dietitian. We thought this would be possibly the model, but DAA decided to go down the APD route and not take our model, but um, that's okay. So we sort of stand alone, but we're, we're not really a breakaway group. We're... we're we just had to do this, and I hope every other dietitian understands, for our survival within the sports medicine, which is where most dietitians would be actually working and employed. We had to do it. Mm. Gives me goosebumps having you talk about it. And I interviewed Louise Burke recently, and um, she was talking about you could have all been seen as, you could have seen each other as competitors, but you were all really collaborative and on that yep. same vision and mission. Exactly, exactly. And she mentioned that you were really integral in terms of the branding and the marketing. Can you tell us why you thought that was so important? Well, again, we needed, it was simple. We needed the money. Um, we couldn't, you know, to apply for grants and do all of that. We just didn't have time. Uh, so I was, um, at that time, I was actually working as a, a consultant with Uncle Toby's. And um, I thought it would be... I think that I thought they might be interested in what we were doing because the Olympics were coming up in 2000 in Australia. I knew they were sponsors of that. 
They, um, they understood the connection between food and performance. They were very into elite sport with their Ironman and all their swimmers, et cetera. And um, I had a good relationship with them. So I spoke to the marketing manager about a concept and I asked her what she thought of us doing this and would this be, you know, what would she think? Well, immediately she just said, oh, my God, this would be incredible. We could help you with the branding. We're using the best, uh, you know, brand image people in the country, uh, Ken Cato. We'll do the branding for you. We'll help you. We'll give you... We'll." We'll give you all this expertise, all this in-kind support. We will get your logo. We will help you with your name and your mantra, and we we will do that for you. Um, but what in return? I asked, and um, so it was basically a new. And they said we could use you as on our packaging. We could raise your profile. But you could write you could write material for us. You know, we could anyway. This it all started from there. I knew that I was giving part of my consultancy to SDA. So I said, and I was prepared to do that, which was very generous of me, I thought. But, but, I, but in, in effect, I've said to the marketing director, I said, well, maybe the money that you pay me, you can give to SDA. And, um, as a, and you know, then SDA can, can do the work uh, as a part of a private business and you could help us with in-kind support. Well, she said that was a very kind offer, but she was prepared to pay SDA and prepared to keep me. Um, on a retainer as well for other work. So uh, that was really a surprise I didn't expect, but it was it was great. And we also went to Gatorade because Gatorade were already supporting sports medicine, um, the Australian Sports Medicine Federation, and we were already doing these fantastic um, events with Gatorade supporting us, being a sports drink, et cetera. So we went to Gatorade and I remember asking them for, with Helen O'Connor, we went up, I went to Sydney and I remember asking them for $35,000. I remember so clearly to this day, I mean, it wouldn't have got us anywhere, but they they said that they, they would give us a bit more and also they gave us in-kind support. So they helped us with... Um, our planning and and um, and all sorts of things. So we had all together. We we couldn't believe it, but we really had these two partners, two founding partners, Uncle Toby's, and we had Gatorade, and they really helped us uh, get off the ground to keep our membership fees at a minimal and really allowed us to raise our profile, which was our aim. So we ended up being on a million boxes of muesli bars. But what we did do was actually go through all of the range of Uncle Toby's, and we said we're not. In, we're not doing anything with certain uh, products. We wouldn't touch them because they're just not suitable. Um, and even with the muesli bars, we divided them up. And the breakfast cereals, we divided them up. And we focused on what we thought was really healthy and then helped with improving uh, food, uh, improving the, the nutritional profile. But without Uncle Toby's and Gatorade, we would not have been able to achieve our profile. And obviously, fueling fitness for the future was our mantra. So we thought we wouldn't, we'd apply... Um, our knowledge from working with elite athletes to the general community and um, and create more job opportunities for sports dietitians who could work with anybody who was wanting to, whether a weekend warrior, a, a, a child playing sport at school. So fitness, somebody a bit of a gym junkie. So it would broaden our mantra a little bit. Uh, so we the elite athletes were really the pinnacle and our work there, but it, we really broadened our perspective initially anyway to the whole community and talked about how nutrition and physical activity are inextricably linked and you really can't talk one without the other. So that was really the direction to give more job opportunities for um, dietitians coming through because work, work with elite sport was quite limited.
Mm. And what a what a legacy you created that founding group. Um, you know, SDA today is incredible. Um, but touching on the in- food industry, so you, you then went on to work with Jenny Craig and you were actually on a retainer with Jelma for 27 years. I think yep. that is absolutely unheard of. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about working with food industry and then if you don't mind touching on the, the controversy that we have in terms of dietitians working with food industry and, and sponsorship. Yeah, look, it's interesting because my entree into food industry primarily came through the success of Hawthorne Footy Club winning back-to-back premierships. So when they won back-to-back premierships in 1988 and 1989, they were my first two years at the club because I was poached from Collingwood over there. (laughs) But Collingwood, I I didn't get paid. It was an honorary position. And then Hawthorne approached me and offered to pay me um, uh, to to pay a salary uh, or consultancy. I just interrupting for the footy fans where does your loyalty lie today Collingwood or Hawthorne Hawthorne because Hawthorne changed my life Hawthorne's okay. success right. uh, because of, of it changed the trajectory of my career because what happened was a food company started approaching me I didn't I haven't ever applied for a position at a food company they've always come to they came to me because of the success of the team what are you feeding Hawthorne and the first one was rice growers cooperative and I would I only went they were developing a rice brand product I'll talk I'll go back a little bit to Jenny Craig um, they, they developed a rice brand product uh, which they wanted me to help launch and um, get involved in in some needs assessment for that product. But I was more interested in rice as a fuel. So they wanted me to do the rice brand, but I said, look, I'd work with you if I could talk about rice being a great you know, carb- source of carbohydrate and a great uh, performance fuel. So what they in- introduced were sunrise swimming camps throughout Australia. And these were, because rice is grown in regional areas, these were camps where they brought the best coaches and the best expertise to country kids, obviously in regional areas, who were talented swimmers. And many people, like a lot of people that you would know, actually went through these camps. So I, um, we did this. I wrote information for them. So the work with the food companies, what I tried to do was always relate that back to sport. So I was able to carry a rice cooker around, go to all of these regional camps and talk about nutrition and high-performance eating. And, um, again, millions of these booklets were distributed over the time that I think I worked for rice growers for, again, 11 years or so. And um, and that was really fantastic. Uh, and then uh, I was also offered the Uncle Toby's position and then, again, that was really working with their athletes as well and writing all their materials and being a brand ambassador and again because in those days athletes were seen as as spokespeople and ambassadors for food products and um uh, so and it was australian milk marketing as well where they were the they they skinny milk rev are some of them were some of their brands big m but they support they sponsored the big m melbourne magic basketball team so my role with them was actually to work with the basketball team and um, write all the materials as well as doing other work on skinny milk and whatever so i was using big m as a recovery drink uh, after after a game and after training before we really had the science on 
protein and and sugar and carbohydrate being good for recovery. Didn't know anything about recovery in the in the early eighties. So that was mid eighties, and that gave me an opportunity to be a bit of a basketball dietitian. And I know Louise was certainly working with them at the um, Institute of Sport, but I was able to work then with the women's basketball team, the Opals, for the Olympics, and went to South Australia and did a whole lot of work. So. Through the food companies, I was still able to maintain my sports nutrition focus, and that was really important for me. And I was very, very particular about the food companies I worked with, so I knew that my credibility had to be preserved. So I, prim I went primarily with primary producers, and I worked with kiwi fruit, for example, after that. So that was all, that was very satisfying for me. And also it enabled me to do my sports nutrition work because sports nutrition work was very poorly paid. In fact, a lot of my work in, in the early days was in an honorary capacity to try and get the, to try and show the value of a dietitian. So I, you know, often I would say, well, don't, don't worry about paying me just pay me an honorarium and let me show you what we can do. So a lot of my work was in an honorary capacity. I, I mean, I'm so thrilled to see what dietitians get paid today in AFL clubs. You know, I had to rely very heavily on sponsorship and, and I, you know, to get my program sponsored by companies and Exceed were one of those companies that came on board with Hawthorne. So I had to raise my own money really to be able to, in, to do all the work that I wanted to do. But I'm, so I needed to earn money from other in other places, and that was really another reason why I worked in the food industry and media. Not that media was so well paid, and kept my you know institute of sport position, etc., which wasn't full time. It was really a consultancy um, because they were my paying jobs, and the sports nutrition in the early days was my passion. And um, my private practice, obviously, I employed other dietitians. I couldn't have done this all on my own, and um, so my private practice was also. Um, profitable, which was which was good. So yeah, I had to make do a little bit of that for nothing. But just back to Jenny Craig. Um, Jenny Craig rang me. Uh, you know, you get these calls someday because we didn't have mobile phones or anything. Remember that? So computers were just new. So it was a phone call that I got in my clinic, and it was actually Jenny Craig on the phone. And I said, "You're joking!" And I remember saying, "Is that the real Jenny Craig?" An American accent. I thought, I can't believe I've got a call from Jenny Craig. Had patients waiting in the waiting room and whatever. Anyway, she, her name was, my name was given to her because of Hawthorne's success. She was, and also I was working with the Australian Ballet Company and she was really um, in love with ballet. So uh, she asked me if I would come in for a meeting and would I be interested in coming to work for them? Well, I can tell you I was not interested in going to work for Jenny Craig because in those days I thought the, the food was you know, cat food and had a very bad reputation of weight weight management and all this, you know, weight loss. And I, I saw Jenny Craig as in competition to dietitians and to our core work and I wasn't keen at all. But I rang my mentor, Joan Steele. She was another mentor of mine. And I said to Joan, I had this call from Jenny Craig, the real Jenny Craig and blah, blah, blah. And I said, sure, they want me to go and work for them and, and bring, you know, they have home economists, but they want a dietitian to bring their program in line with the government guidelines and all of this. And I'm not going to do it. And she said, how many patients do you see in a year in your practice? And I said, new patients. I said, I don't know, maybe 150. I, look, I, I didn't, I remember saying 150. I have no idea. I haven't counted them up. She said, how many clients do Jenny Craig have? And I said, well, she said about 35,000. She said, what are you thinking about? You're going to have a much greater impact if you go to Jenny Craig and help them get at least a well-balanced program in place. You can have an enormous impact into that area. What are you thinking about? Go and have a chat with them. So I did. 
I went and I signed up 24 hours a week. I had to get somebody else doing other things. I was working a lot with my athletes at night, as you can imagine. And, but I didn't last very long in that position. I sort of, I could see that it really wasn't what I wanted to do and it wasn't really in line with my career. But I, I, I sort of told them how important it was to get a dietitian on board and, um, you know, that they needed it. So I started doing, um, putting, doing a program that was in line with the Better Health Commission guidelines and getting that all right. And then um, I, it was low in fibre. When you have low in kilojoule diet, you can't get enough fibre. So I managed to get four rice bran and four brands into the program. So I helped rice growers in that, in that respect. But just very quickly, what I, I said, look, to Jenny after about a year, I said, look, it's, I, I, for me, I need to focus on my sports nutrition career. So thank you very much. But it's been great. But, you know, I, I won't do it. And she said, we still want you on board. What about if we offered you a position on our international medical advisory board? So you don't have to work here, but we use you as our advisor and you'd have to come to San Diego every year and you'd be liaising with the top obesity researchers in America, um, like Barbara Rolls and people like that. And, you know, you would come to our conference and you would guide the program in Australia and New Zealand from an advisory point of view. Well, I thought mm, that sounded Fantastic. So I did that. They paid me as a, an advisor for, uh, I think, another 23 years I sat on that board. And um, that was quite incredible. And there were unique experiences. And I, li and I liaised with the, the CEO of Jenny Craig America was a dietitian, Patty Lachey. Karen Barber was the CEO of UK Jenny Craig. She was a dietitian. Um, so I met many colleagues who worked with Jenny Craig, some very good friends globally. And I just was sitting sometimes at these meetings thinking, how did I get here, for God's sake? These are all incredible researchers. And, um, you know, it, it was, you know, I know people are critical of, of weight loss organisations and things, but really they were very professional in their approach and, and just even behaviour modification techniques and, and the resources and, the, you know, and, and it was fantastic. Then Nestle bought them. And things changed, but in those early days, um, it was really quite an experience. And again, another sliding door moment. I wouldn't, without my mentor, I would not have accepted that position. It really wasn't for me. And I was prepared to resign and I did resign from it. And then they offered me another position. So pretty grateful for that. I think that's a, a learning for our younger dietitians listening to, um, you know, take heed of the advice of your mentors. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. I think some, I mean, and you don't always do that. And I haven't always done that. There are times that I haven't taken the advice. And um, so, and, and probably regretted that in some instances, mm -hmm. but, but often I did take the advice. Um, and, you know, I've learned today that you can have mentors and you can have sponsors and mm -hmm. sponsors open doors for you. And um, I've had some of those too. Mm -hmm. So you were at Jenny, you were with Jenny Craig, even in an advisory capacity for 23 years. You were with Jalna for 27 years. What, what were you doing? What value were you bringing to these companies that dietitians need to do today? I mean, it's just incredible. Oh, well, it, it's, it's the value that you give them. And I, I was always true to scientific principles. Um, I didn't get swayed by marketing departments. Uh, they were employing me to give them an honest opinion on what I thought, even 
if the direction that they were, if, if especially if, the, if I thought the direction they were going in was not conducive to current scientific evidence in terms of nutrition well-being. And there were many times that they tried, marketing people would try and manipulate uh, foods to promise uh, benefits that really don't exist. Uh, so what I did was I, whenever these problems were posed, I wouldn't just criticise the idea. I would try and find a solution. So I was very solution-focused. Uh, it's sort of almost like, you know, you know, when people present you with things that you think are not right or outrageous or whatever, there's no point just criticising, saying that's throwing it out of the window because that's very rude in a lot of ways and it shows disrespect to their ideas. So what I tried to do was try and empathise with how they got to that position and then come up with a, what, a solution to that problem. If that was an outrageous claim, um, then if you, you know, for example, roll-ups, um, <laughs> then they're never going to be healthy, in my opinion. So I had to be brave to say, yes, you can argue they're carbohydrate or they're pressed fruit, but they're not healthy. They're bad for the teeth. They're not good. So what I suggested is that they took off the branding of Uncle Toby's from that product because it's not conducive with Uncle Toby's product. So you have to be honest and true and give them um, sort of value for money. So I knew that I had to, I couldn't sell myself. I had to maintain my credibility and I needed to be honest. And there were times when there were arguments and I, you know, I, when I wouldn't endorse confectionery or I thought I said that was just confectionery. And um, but so I just separated it from I came up, I tried to come up with solutions. So with all of my consultancy jobs, I just I just stayed true to myself and true to being a dietitian, in my opinion. And um, I wouldn't be swayed. I wouldn't endorse any product I didn't believe in. And um, I, you know, so I just that, that was it. And I also um, I think uh you know, I, I, I gave them independent advice and I had wonderful relationships with them. And it's amazing because so many of the people that I've worked with are my friends today, even though I don't work for the companies anymore and neither do, do I. But many of these people move around. So another lesson that I learned was that many of the doors that were open to me with other organisations, like, for example, Gourmet Garden Herbs, uh, doing that sort of work came because the marketing director for Uncle Toby's left and went over there and used me as a consultant there. And we were able to do a lot of work on the nutritional benefits of culinary herbs and gave me an opportunity to work with Linda, wonderful Linda Tapsell. And we did some research with her functional food center and we I presented it at an American Dietetic. We did a workshop over the American Dietetic Association conference as it was called in those days. And, and we managed to get herbs and spices um, within the uh, food guidelines, dietary guidelines and healthy diet pyramids and all of that, all from a, a corporate a food, uh, you know, working with food industry. So when people say, you know, should dietitians be working with food industry? Emphatically, my answer is yes, absolutely, because it doesn't mean endorsing junk food or ultra-processed foods. It means working within the food industry to implement change. And one of the best examples of that is Beverly Wood, Dr Beverly Wood, who did all her work on thiamine and virtually, you know, single-handedly eradicating Wernicke-Gorskopf syndrome by lobbying and getting... Um, the NHMRC to fortify flour with 
Simon. I mean, that's working with the food industry. Food industry isn't just, you know, confectionery. Food industry, food producers, it's bigger, much bigger than that. So I think there's a huge Im, Im, impact that dietitians can have working in food industry. Mm. You touched on um, relationships there, and I think this is one of your biggest strengths, and I call you the networking extraordinaire, and you're well-networked within dietetics but also outside of dietetics. And my most favourite memory with you is our Jamie Oliver moment (laughs) when I invited you to the business chicks um, breakfast and we were sitting there, the introductions were happening and you said, I know that the lady speaking who was from Commonwealth Bank and, you know, that just shows the relationships and networks that you have. And uh, as a result of that, um, you know, going over and chatting to her and the next minute you're calling me over and I've never run so fast, as you said, to uh, to come over and talk to Jamie. And, you know, what a moment that was that we had him locked on eyes for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes when there were <laughs> tens of thousands of women that wanted to meet him that day and, and we were able to chat to him and that was all because of your network. So can you tell me a little bit about how you create relationships, how you build and maintain your networks? Look, it, it's, I don't do it intentionally. Um, I, it's, I'm just me. I, I think, you know, I just love people and um, I suppose I, 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 you know, I just, I love, I, I mean, I have fun with people. I enjoy meeting new people and, um, I, you know, I, I, I suppose I, I, do, I don't really have, I don't go out and try and I don't even know if I really like the word networking I think it's just, I, I can understand that some people find it a little hard if you're shy or introverted, but I was very interested with the Dietitians Australia conference earlier on in the week to look at the circles and, and how you have to get out of your comfort zone and get into your courage zone. And I think for people who do find it difficult to just walk up to somebody and start a conversation, um, I think it's it's something that you really need to do once because it, you have to have courage to do that. And the, nobody's going to turn their back on you. Um, people are going to, you know, they're going to welcome you coming up to them as well. So I just, but but for me, life is about relationships because, you know, I talk about the, the tr- journey, the train that of life. And, you know, I have my train, I have a lot of carriages on it. Um, uh, you know, I'm sitting in certain trains, but obviously throughout life, people uh, get onto my train, they get off at various times, they might come back on, they might load on another carriage. But it's people come in and out of your life. My aim is not to have enemies. I, I don't really want to go through life worrying that I've, um, I have enemies. I, I want to have friends, but I understand that, you know, you, no, you can't love everybody and not everybody can love you. But I, I just try and... and um, I enjoy, I have quite a few interests outside of dietetics and which are quite diverse. I mean, I'm very into the arts and I'm into um, culture and music. And so I, I through that, through those um, areas of interest, I've met a lot of people outside of my profession. And, um, you know, we're, uh, you go back, going back to my parents, they were great entertainers. We always had parties at home growing up. And I like, I'd like to enjoy social um, events with, with various people. And I, I even set up things that, that if I want to get to know people a bit better, you know, I do this annual lunch where I just Melbourne based uh, and I invite women, interesting women that I've met throughout the year and I invite them to a lunch and I connect them with each other because I think that they would really get like to um, 
know you know each other and even in the early days when I was on DAA committees and sports medicine Australia committees I'd often have the planning uh, subcommittee meetings at my home and I'd bring everybody in simply because I had young children and it was more convenient but we'd also you know open a bottle of champagne or you know have a vodka or something like that as well as um, food and, and sort of they became friends so a lot of them, and, and that made, I mean, people you work with, you know, I know you're not supposed to be best friends with everybody, but, you know, and I did maintain sort of a professional relationship with them. But in the end, you know, you, you've got to know people to understand how they think and how they work. And that sort of was very important for me in the food industry as well, that if I knew how people were thinking and I knew a little bit about their background, it really helped me with the way I pitched my advice and the way I spoke with them. And I'd always start up my conversations talking about, you know, how did you go on the weekend and, you know, did you meet that guy? And, you know, just a bit friendly and, um, uh, you know, so they're the relationships. So many of the people I've worked with, as I've said, even with Jolna, I mean, um, our relationship ended this year um, because the second generation, the sons have taken over the, the business and um, I've really felt, you know, it was time for perhaps a younger dietitian to be in tune with them rather than somebody their mother's age. But uh, I, I've known those those boys all their lives, so uh, virtually. So it's wonderful. And I'm still being very friendly with the owners of, of Jolna. Um, so that's the way I like to work. Um, it's all that for me, life is about relationships and um, I value them very, very much. Yeah. Someone once said to me, um, something that I've really tried to do is, is those coffee catch-ups are the most important. You can often see them as not as work, but they're so crucial to doing what you're saying and really getting to know people. Yes, I agree. And I, I think that's part of, um, that's what that's the way we're moving forward. And I certainly think with younger generation of dietitians, I think that they reveal themselves so much on, um, you know, Instagram and, and et cetera. And at first it was so the antithesis of the way we were trained. You know, you didn't talk about yourself personally with your patients and you kept all your personal life. I mean, nobody knew I had children until uh, my son broke his leg one day and I said, I really can't make this meeting. I've got to go to hospital with my son. And you have children. I said, yeah, you know, nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. So I didn't really ever talk about myself. But today it's all different. And you do or have, you still do, have a prominent role in the media and you have your regular 3AW radio segment and you're also the nutrition writer for the Australian Women's Weekly for 17 years. Tell us how you got your first start in media and any tips for dietitians. I know a lot of them want to get into media. Look, again, it was football. Um, it really started with Collingwood. I mean, I, because I was the first dietitian involved with the club, I ended up having a big photo on the back page of the Herald, which was just unheard of because it was always sport and there was uh, a big article about me. And I mean, the headline today, you'd laugh about it, but it was what a sweet dish for the pies. You know, today that would be not at all acceptable, but this again was 1981. So, uh, so I did get a lot of media attention about the work I was doing in the you know, in those days. And so uh, the media just came to me and asked me if I'd be on news and, uh, you know, I remember Yarn Event asking me and I was doing these series on, it was all about special diets and things like that. It wasn't specifically on sports nutrition, but I did get a lot of um, uh, opportunities that, because there were really very few dietitians working in media at that time. I mean, it was Rosemary Stanton was very prominent, Catherine Saxelby, but I think, and me, I think there wasn't, there weren't really many others. So, um, and and I suppose, 
again, I had the ability to translate the science into uh, easily understandable uh, words and um, and I suppose, you know, I did a lot of acting at school. I, I really enjoyed that, you know, you sort of go, you're drawn to sort of your comfort zone really. So I wasn't scared of public speaking or had a lot of practice in that and acting. So I thought, oh my God, I'm going to do television work, which wasn't what I expected. I would have loved to have been an actress in my in my life. And um, so that came about and of course, uh, I wrote four books um, and for the public and so my writing was, uh, the way I wrote was really as I spoke and I used to write, uh, speak into a dictaphone and then that was, and then I'd trans, that was transcribed by my secretary and so that's how I wrote and, and the Women's Weekly picked up one of my books, Food, Fitness and Feeling Good and um, approached me and asked me if I would write, they like my style and if I would um, write with for them. Which uh, which I did, and I resigned from that position after 17 years because uh, I was starting to see the influence of advertising, and um, I I just I also didn't want to do all these diets that would be on the covers and things like that. So I, I had a few ethical considerations, but but I, I was hoping that they would use a dietitian, and um, and they are. So it was just really at the time. Uh, the editor that I was working on, we were not on the same wavelength. But overall, it was a wonderful, a great opportunity. Nobody really knew I worked. I wrote for them because that wasn't the big byline. But, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot of articles to prove that I did. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, that was good. But yes, it just went on from there. And, and with 3AW, um, which has been again a 16-year relationship, uh, I just rang them up one day. I was fed up because the information I was hearing on one of the programs was nutrition information was being given by um, uh, you know, a fitness person who had no understanding of or not a good understanding of nutrition and I was being used as an expert commentator on all the programs on 3AW and the ABC for a long time and I thought, why is this person, why have they got a regular gig and I'm just used as a commentator to correct misinformation. So I rang up the um, program director and I explained my position. I said, I can't listen anymore. They said, this was Thursday. They said, well, write us, we can't pay you, I haven't got any money. I said, don't worry about the money. It's not about the money. It's about the opportunity to give the right information to the community. And he said, well, give me a proposal. So I wrote a proposal, got it through to them on Friday. On Monday, I was on air and I've been on air weekly since that time. So sometimes you do have to take the initiative, but that was a little bit of burning anger in me. And again, I just thought it's wrong information and I've got to correct it. So um, yeah, that's that's how I got into the media. And um, obviously, Good Morning Australia, I was on for 10 years with Bert Newton. And yeah, I've had a lot of fun with, I've really enjoyed that side of my, of my work now. But of course, media now is completely different. You don't have the traditional media as much. It's all social media and I'm not really good on that. Uh, but I really love what all the young ones are doing on Instagram and all the videos and all of that kind of stuff and what you're doing with D DC. I, that's something I thought I would get a handle on during lockdown and but no, still not great. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting to see you on uh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I've um, made it private because I'm posting all terrible things, but not yeah. terrible <laughs> personal things, but I will open it up one day. That's some, I, need, I need somebody to help me with that. If there's anybody out there who's going to help me. <laughs> I'm sure plenty of people will put their hands up. But you have kept with um, sort of the latest innovations, I think, in nutrition and dietetics, Karen, and more recently you've started the meal delivery company Dynamic, which is going gangbusters, particularly with the pandemic, and you opened the Georgie Bass Cafe and Cooker in Flinders, yeah, obviously that's connected back to your love of food and culinary nutrition. Um, 
Yeah. Do you think dietitians should be in this space? And well, absolutely. I mean, it's. I think that culinary nutrition is is really should be in a dietitian's DNA. I mean, when I trained, we did cookery. We did a lot of it, and we were, you know, because in those days, dietitians used to run every, you know, the food service of hospitals. I know some now have moved back into that, but it's called food service. I think culinary nutrition is is probably more an on trend word, which is a bit broader than food service within a hospital, etc. So I think it's um, I think it's a, a really growth area, a new frontier to develop um, for dietitians, and you know it's wonderful to see our, our mutual friend uh, Emma Sterling setting up this uh, culinary nutrition uh, degree or course at Australian Catholic University in Melbourne next year, which should be a first, which is fantastic. And um, but really the whole dynamic thing really started from again a need, seeing a need, and it really started in concept form uh, for in preparation preparing the athletes for the. Uh, Sydney 2000 Olympics where, you know, I needed to do, to provide them with food because I could see that they weren't cooking, they weren't eating right at home. So I just got a, a local chef to, to do some of my recipes and together we came up with um, ready meals for sport, they were called, it wasn't called dynamic then. And um, that sort of, so it really came as a need. And I think as dietitians, when we see a gap uh, in the work that we're doing or we need a tool, uh, like we need a resource, you need a, Write it. If if it doesn't exist, write it yourself. Do it yourself. If you see there's a gap in um, in in the work that you, a gap in in the resource that you need to, to do your work to the best of your ability, uh, don't always rely on what else is out there in the marketplace. Sometimes think internally and think, well, is it something that I can do? So um, it sort of has. It really dynamic was really born in two thousand and eight as dynamic, and um, I sort of I'm now sort of pretty much committed to it financially and from a professional input point of view. I was sort of uh, on the outskirts initially. It was, I had, um, you know, an athlete, a friend of mine, Jason Johnson and um, John Casey really running with it, but now it's really grown enormously and um, I'm now, I find it quite exciting. So I sort of thought, well, maybe I should help my own food company <laughs> uh, with some nutrition expertise. Uh, we've got nutritionists there. I really want to employ more dietitians, but I mean, yes, we've done well at the home delivery, Marie, but we've lost all our events and we still feed athletes and a lot of our sporting, um, the way we, the teams that we work with, um, well, that's all, you know, gone by the wayside because they're not competing. So We've gained on one hand, we've certainly been negatively impacted on the other, but overall, um, you know, I can't complain about um, about that. As far as the cooking school goes, that's closed and um, our chef has left. He's, he's gone on and, and to another position. So mm-hmm. I'm going to have to start again with that cookery school. Uh, it's, I think we'll do well in regional areas, but um, it's back to, I'll, I'll have to, you know, that, it's been closed for too long. We, what we've done is we've morphed into a community hub. We've provided a lot of food for the community uh, that they can access. And um, that's been, a, a con, you know, we've kept take, take away things and coffees and, uh, but it's not really what it was, no way. And um, it's sad, but, you know, if that's the only major loss that, you know, we've had during the pandemic. I mean, people have really suffered a lot more. I will reopen it, but um, it, it, you know, not not for a while. It's not a high priority list at the moment. It, it, it will reopen, but probably in a different format. We can't have. The, I don't know if we'll be able to have the cooking that many people together because um, from social distancing and things. So there's a lot of uncertainty about that, which is very disappointing. Hmm. 
Now, I could talk to you for hours, but we've only got a couple of minutes left. So um, you've had such an amazing career. And would there be one highlight for you? And what are you most excited about for the future? Uh, there isn't one highlight, Marie. I, um, to be honest with you, there were there was probably there were twenty years where I would wake up in the morning excited for what the day would bring, and um, I always say to dietitians, young ones, don't be in a rush. The twenties are for yourself. The twenties weren't for me because I married very young and had my children very young. But um, I think that just take your time and build a strong foundation. Um, but you know, for me, the highlight was just being excited by everything that I was doing and I just didn't know what the next opportunity was going to be. It was a phone call for me, for you, for the, it'll be the email and, and recognising the opportunities and, um, and, and being flexible enough, not being too rigid in your planning. So allowing space that you can go down perhaps a, a different track. Don't be scared. Be courageous because they'll be the new frontiers. People say to me, what's the future? You've just asked me. I don't. I hope I. I don't want to predict the future because everything's moving so quickly. The future is something I wouldn't have even thought of. And in our, all I can say to all the dietitians there out there, you have chosen the right profession. There is no more. This is the most exciting time in, in for dietitians. There is so much to do. There are so many opportunities out there awaiting you. Um, you know, if I was starting again today, I don't know what I'd be. I mean, I'd do my PhD. That's what I'd probably do. But I would. Um, I would. You know, I don't know if I'd be nutrigenomics or a fabulous gastro dietitian. I. I don't know if I'd be in culinary. I don't know what I would do. But for all of you, you are in the right space. You know, everything's connecting. You've got Dietitian Connection doing a wonderful job. Dietitians Australia are really kicking goals as well now. We're, we're, we're strong. We are the experts. Um, we're focused. We're together. I, I'm so excited. I just hope I'm around for a lot longer so that I can really see where our profession goes. So it, it's all good. You're all good and I love all of you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today, Karen, but also thank you for everything that you do for the support and mentoring and advice that I know that you give not only to me, but so many other dietitians and the legacy that you've created and um, particularly with SDA and trailblazing and sports dietetics and food industry and the media. Um, my thanks on behalf of the profession um, for the time and energy and um, devotion that you've given to the dietetics profession is outstanding and a real legacy um so thank you and thank you for all that you do for me and for dietitian connection just it always make me cry because you're just a, such a, a positive um yeah person in my life and i'm very grateful well thank you marie and i, I didn't want to have the last word but i have to acknowledge that i'm a very team orientated person and i surround myself uh, with wonderful people who have skills, you know, I surround myself with people who are better than me in so many aspects and I want to thank all of those dietitians that have been part of my tribe, if you like, over the 40 years that I've been working as a dietitian, I'm still working as a dietitian, because it's without you I would not, We, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do everything. So I would like to really, uh, you know, I, I do better when I'm with people. I'm much better as a team player 
uh, and surround myself with people with enormous expertise. And I, I always say that, you know, surround yourself with people who are better than you and can offer you um, so much uh, to make, make you perform at your best too. So thank you to everybody. Marie, as I said, I'm in awe of you too. So thank you very much for this opportunity to talk with you today. Thanks, Karen. It's been such a joy and I uh, hope everyone's enjoyed today's episode. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review for us and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us what you thought about this episode, what you learned, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We really value hearing from you and we really value your feedback. So please, please hit that review button. That's it from us. Thank you again for listening, wherever in the world you're tuning in from. We'll see you on a future Dietitian Connection podcast.